inescapable love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about the second part of Chapter 27 of Goblet of Fire, Padfoot Returns, in which we actually get to the part where we see one Sirius Black, uh, because the gang goes to Hogmeade's with provisions for Sirius, who's been living in a cave up in the mountain outside of town. Everyone's favorite horsey bird, Buckbeak, is here too, which is not relevant to the plot, but I just love that he's here, so <laughs> here you go. Um, Sirius let, lets the kids know that he's been living rough, pretending to be a friendly stray, reading the news, and eating rats. Harry is understandably anxious about this whole you being near Hogsmeade, but our favorite dog father points out that there is some truly sus shit happening around here that he needs to be around for, and also... Only the three of them in Dumbledore know that he's an animagus, so kind of foolproof. <clears throat> but we're in investigation mode now, as everyone ends up talking about how old Barty Crouch Sr., how he's gone missing, and how he sacked his, his house elf at the World Cup, and all the fuckery around that. Sirius is actually interested in how Crouch Sr. acted, and about Hermione's assessment of Crouch Sr.'s treatment of Winky, because, and as Sirius points out, Quote, if you want to know what a man is like, take a good look at how he treats his, quote-unquote, inferiors, not his equals. Side note, quotes around inferior is mine because, uh, check yourself, Sirius Black, your blue blood is showing. Anyway, uh, and then Sirius drops the bomb that, uh, he knows a little bit about the measure of Crouch Jr.'s personality because this motherfucker sent Sirius to prison without a trial. Mental record scratch from our heroes, and honestly, from anyone reading that sentence for the first time. Uh, and then we get an explanation of what passes as the quote-unquote justice system in times of crisis in the witching world. Crouch Sr. was the head of magical law enforcement, and he was, as we say, as we say in the U.S., tough on crime. He had his sights on being the next miniature of magic, and thought all you needed to fight domestic terrorism was with an iron fist and a complete disregard for human rights. Um, and it would have worked had Junior not been caught with known Death Eaters after Voldemort's fall. Nepotism got Crouch Jr. a trial, but he still went to prison and <clears throat> died a year later. A-plus parenting there, my dude. Anyway, his wife unfortunately died also, and after all this personal tragedy, Fudge, of all fucking people, ended up as minister, and Crouch Sr. ends up working with Himbo Bagman himself. Womp womp. So the conversation somehow ends up moving on to Snape and Moody, and we learn that Snape was always the weird kid who knew too much about dark magic and ran with a gang of purebloods that ended up being Death Eaters. The gang tries to read more into this, but Sirius does not have time for that. 
Because there's this whole mystery with Bertha Jorkins, too, who we learned from Sirius has an excellent memory for God, had an excellent memory for gossip and bad judgment as to who to tell it to. It's almost like these two things are related somehow. (laughs) But visiting hours are over and the gang heads back to the castle with a lot to think about. Yes, indeed. So we are going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Breaking news. Society with access to literal functional truth potion can't figure out who is guilty and who isn't, but also doesn't care. <sighs> womp. The saddest womp womp. <laughs> the saddest enter whatever appropriate sound effect there is for that. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, we turn to the front page, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Or in this case, everything that's not fucked up. <laughs> I have I have a bit of unfucked up things in my editorials this week. I tried. I tried. Actually, so did I. Uh, mostly. It, like, skirts yeah. around It skirts around the <laughs> fucked up shit, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. We'll see how, let's see how we, how, how it goes. Yep. Let's just start here. Why is Sirius, who, as far as we can tell from solid textual evidence, has spent the last many months in some sort of tropical paradise canoodling with Remus Lupin, wearing his Azkaban robes again? What's he doing? What? Why? Maybe it's uh, too cold to wear the, uh, like, Speedo, you know, that he was wearing in the tropical... You know, it's not really crop top Lupin weather. would never send him back to Scotland <laughs> without appropriate winter wear. Mm. Unless Lupin doesn't know, or else he would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? Just come stay at my house instead <laughs> of living okay. in a cave <laughs> to be 20 feet closer to Harry. What are you doing? Yeah, there's that. Um... Yeah, no, I think this is, like, the silliest, silliest thing. The idea that he hasn't changed his clothes in months. It's very ridiculous. Yeah, there is no, there is no explanation for this. All right. Um, So we learned, we learned from Sirius that he's been, like, hanging out as a dog for who knows how long. And I just, like, wanted to imagine Sirius, like, as a dog, like, stealing a pie from a windowsill. (laughs) And just, like, I don't know, being the, like, lovable scamp of a, like, stray dog. People are like, oh, he may look like a terrible death omen, but he's really very friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, maybe stealing some robes off of someone's clothesline. I don't know. Just saying. (laughs) I mean, truly. (laughs) Um, I actually deeply appreciate this, like, comedy gold, this, like, visual gag that you have to be paying attention to notice. That is the fact that for whatever reason, I guess because he just forgot, he transforms back before he drops the newspapers that he has picked up. (laughs) So he, as a human, is still holding a newspaper in his mouth when he's transformed. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's so funny. I think this chapter, this part of the chapter really leads in on he spent a little bit too much time as a dog and is a little mm-hmm. bit dog-like in his mannerisms. I have another fun visual image for you. 
Okay. Which is, we also learn the unfortunate fact that he's been eating a lot of rats to supplement his diet, which mm. is something I will, will not be going into at all. Okay, um, great. But I also want you to envision every time he eats a rat, he's just like mentally like, fuck you, Wormtail. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, this has me thinking about how, like, rats are such a stand-in for, like, desperation. Because, like, Buffy, we see Angel is doing very poorly because he's living on rats. Carry on. Baz is, like, desperate because he's living off of rats. Serious here, desperate because he's living off of rats. Is there really, like, nothing else that we can think of to to symbolize not doing well is it because like rats are so prolific i mean how many rats are there in like northern scotland in a you know non-city where there's probably not a lot of trash for them to get into I mean, probably still a lot because i mean rats are basically anywhere people are at and since we get a sense at least through harry where he's like they're going out to the mountains and he's like there's more the gardens are getting larger and the like cottages are getting further apart so there's some kind of like gardening some sort of level of agriculture and i mean that's where rat when they're not eating trash they're eating everyone's gardens or like the grain for your horses or your hippogriffs or whatever the fuck people any kind of livestock people might be pot- might potentially be keeping out here i think of mice in that situation though not rats i mean you still get rats too i don't know actually i've never really thought about where like a wild rat lives i'm like yeah field mice where 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 do wild rats live? I don't know. Where there in are barns. people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean they're they're eating leftover chicken feed, they're eating garbage. I mean, they're I guess there's a rat antagonist in Charlotte's Web, huh? That's yeah. a fully agrarian. Tem- Templeton the rat. Who's <laughs> yeah. very sassy. Anyway, yeah, I mean clearly maybe not at the same level of like the way that like rats are in say New York, which is that like mm-hmm. they just take over at night <laughs> to the point where it's like you guys maybe do need some owls and some more hawks maybe because there's a there's a really bad rat problem that you can't yeah. just throw a cat at. <laughs> <laughs> just so. import coyotes from the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're already actually moving in. I definitely think I read an article about some like maybe like a couple of coyotes in like Brooklyn, and I'm like, good, move in. <laughs> Good for There's like a, I don't know if it's still around. There was a coyote hanging out in our neighborhood for a while. We like we walk and go after dark because he's afraid of everything. And so there were several times that we'd like be walking up a block and be like, "Oh, there's the coyote. We're gonna go the other way." Uh, which is like, what are you doing here, buddy? This is a weird place for a coyote to be. But like, they're, I think I really right. think they're testing the waters about like, can I live in a city? Maybe I can because they live. Yeah basically also where people are at so i don't know i'm like good we're destroying their habitat move into if anyone's gonna gentrify my neighborhood it should be some coyotes to be perfectly honest i i totally agree i'm like i feel fine about this but i feel like the people who uh let their cats go outside probably are not so stoked about there being a coyote in our neighborhood which is why you shouldn't let your cats go outside among a variety of other reasons uh all right okay so my thing is a a bit of a language thing which is that harry brought a bunch of chicken and some bread and like a flask of pumpkin juice 
And I know that flask could also just be thermos if you're not trying to say thermos. But I feel like every time I read that, I just think of like a hip flask of like mm-hmm. like a little flask like you would put booze in, even though I know that wouldn't make any sense for them to have as 14-year-olds. And also right. clearly not enough to bring to someone who's been living off of rats and like rainwater for like right. as a majority of his meals. <laughs> I, so, well, hmm, now I'm thinking, I guess what I was imagining you would call a canteen, which is just a bigger flask. But that's what I assumed was, like, basically a hip flask, just, like, larger, the kind that you take hiking with you. Yeah, I I don't know where they would have gotten that either. That's a great point. I mean, I had to look it up as flask is, I guess, a, and people in the UK, please correct me, as a, if you're like, what we think of as a thermos is called a flask in the UK. Okay. And then I'm like, oh, what if like Hermione has like a, I don't know, cute little like flask that she like has her tea in when she goes to the library. And she's like, we can bring Sirius some in this like, it's like, I don't know, blue plaid or like it has yeah. ponies on it or something. I don't know. Yeah. I love that. All right. This is going to be my last thing here. Sirius being like, yeah, when you talk about me, use the code name Snuffles is like, yeah, that's not weird at all for these kids to be walking around being like, poor old Snuffles. <laughs> he must really like you, Harry. What? <laughs> okay, this is also the same kid who probably was like, oh, we'll just refer to Lupin as being a werewolf as his furry little problem, which is also <laughs> deeply... Like, was, it isn't Lupin like everyone thought I had a particularly vicious rabbit. And yeah. it's just like, th- this is the best you guys could come up with. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Because they also went around like openly calling each other things like Padfoot and Mooney and Prongs. And then we're like, no one knows. And no one did know. So I guess they're just really like banking on witch obliviousness because that is demonstrably a thing yeah why are you gonna ask questions it's like do i even want to know probably not (laughs) (laughs) actually you saying that makes me it's like and then you're like james and like serious for the popular kids because that's like some weird shit that like kids who are not popular (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) i mean i think a lot of times all you need to be popular is just to be like super confident and have like people that you are close with that other people feel like are untouchable so you can be quote unquote a popular kid and only have three friends which i think was the case with the marauders people were just like oh they're cool because they're confident and insular and also rich anyway i mean i don't know how much that plays into it but (laughs) i mean two two out of four were rich yeah i guess we don't know anything about wormtail's parentage yeah, we know, like, basically nothing about his background. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Um, I just have one more thing, which is that I am... And this happens probably, like, once a book, where, like, Ron says a thing offhandedly, and it's the thing that actually ends up happening. And I don't like that he says it at the same time he's putting Hermione down. Where he's like, whatever, Hermione. Like, I think if there was a dark wizard clever enough, you could totally fool, you know, Dumbledore. And it's like, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even clock that. I was too busy thinking about the fact that 
they're like talking to someone who could be a dark wizard that was fooling Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you're on our side, Sirius. Definitely, you're definitely not someone lying and pulling the wool over Dumbledore's eyes. You're an actual good bad guy, right? <laughs> oh, Sirius is just a bad boy TM, not a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just has a leather jacket and rides a flying motorcycle. It's not the same as being an actual <laughs> Yeah, he's a bad guy like the Billie Eilish song, not... Uh... Nope, got nothing to end that sentence with. Anyway, you ready for the next I am. Uh, section? Cool. I sure am. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Kick us off. Uh, there are no good cops. There are only bad cops and worse cops. And this is what we get in this chapter when Sirius describes... Barty Crouch Sr. as being the worst cop and somehow also accurately predicting post 9-11 America even before this happened. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, everything. So we, we have Sirius. Sirius starts us off with explaining to the kids how it felt to be in a like Voldemort is rising and, like, everyone's afraid, and people don't trust each other, and it's like... And then you have Crouch Sr., head of the Magical Law Enforcement, who is like, we'll fight violence with violence. And everyone's like, great. And then it's like, at the cost of your human rights. And it's like, cool. Are we going to be safe? No? Maybe? And it's just like, oh, oh, I'm just, I'm just gesturing at my face, because it's all bad, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there are some like extremely astute observations taking place in this chapter about how easy it is uh for the quote unquote good guys to become like the same as the bad guys. I don't know, I just got kind of stuck on how, like, this feels like another place where JKR should really, like, look at her own text and be like, am I already crouching it right now with my beliefs, you know? I, I have that feel. I have that exact feeling when Sirius is like, you really should pay attention to how people treat, I don't like the word inferiors in quote quotation, and not how they treat their equals, and I'm like, wow, that is a really astute point. <laughs> For someone who could really use that advice, maybe just reworded to be less fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, the sort of astute observation about how it's bad when all of a sudden your law enforcement is judge, jury, and executioner all at the same time is, it's real bad. It's a real, it's not, it's not great. For right. it's very very dangerous. Yeah, it's basically yeah. like it's basically like so you're so you're still a fascist though <laughs> because you've allowed people to go to murder prison, like de- like depression prison without a trial, and then also the cops can kill you even before you get there if they deem it. It's like cool. Okay, so who is is there any oversight? Oh, there's not. Okay. Right. 
Mm, that doesn't sound like a terrible way that maybe, mm, I don't know, already marginalized uh, magical people like werewolves or half giants or half velas could potentially be caught in the crossfire of that. Surely not. Yep. <laughs> the, I don't know, man. Something about like, I'm trying to remember what this quote is. I can't remember. But like being given permission to use an unforgivable curse feels like something that you like actually can't do. Like you can say the words, but like they those things cancel each other out. Like if unforgivable is in the name of the curse, you can't be given permission to use it forgivably. You yeah. know, I think it's something I can't remember where I heard this, but something about how like you can't promise to do something immoral because like a promise is like a moral action. Like you're promising to like behave in a way and you can't like make a genuine promise to like behave unethically because like that cancels out what a promise is meant to do. And that's kind of how it feels like this is a philosophical like snafu. Like you, you can't be given permission to do something unforgivable that literally doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It feels deeply American to be like, yeah, cops go ahead. Yeah torture people in the field do whatever you need that's fine in the name of justice yeah i did a uh deeply upsetting uh wikipedia read about guantanamo bay because this is kind of immediately what it reminded me of which for those who don't know aren't in the know weren't maybe alive for the inception of this is just basically a naval prison in cuba that america created after 9-11 to be like, man, we're going to get some bad dudes and we're going to find out what they're doing if they're doing terrorism. And like immediately threw hundreds of dudes from like all over the world into this prison and tortured them. And it turns out that like probably none of them were guilty of anything besides, I don't know, being caught up in the fact that the U.S. is like, we'll give you $5,000 American to find some bad dudes for us to put in this prison, which is clearly never just going to get people who are just like don't know anything or your neighbors rat you out because they want some like it's like totally not at all a a twisted uh flawed system that's just going to get randos who are not going to spend years in torture prison because they're like muslim and the wrong place at the wrong time you know so yeah and so and uh yeah in the Wikipedia article, there's like a there was an opted from a general who worked at Guantanamo Bay. He was like, who was basically like, yeah, pretty immediately after we built it and we threw like a, like a hundred people in there, it was like, oh, we've we're doing the wrong thing. This isn't these these people don't know anything, and now we're just torturing people who are innocent because the American political machine wants some sacrifices for domestic terrorism that based off historical actions that America didn't need to be in in the first place. So yeah. Any, so yeah. And like for the record, you shouldn't torture people who are guilty either. Yeah. Uh, torturing is literally a thing that's, 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 that's like a war crime and like a yeah. crime against humanity. Also do you, it fully ineffective as an interrogation tactic. 
Yeah. TV has lied to you, everyone. It's like, if you listen to our last episode about how ineffectual truth serum is IRL, um, it's also a thing that came back post 9-11 to be like, look, we're doing a thing, America. Uh, And it's like, cool, truth serum doesn't work. And it's like, you might as well drug people then, I don't know, waterboard them. Uh, Both, neither of them are great, but waterboarding sounds fucking god-awful so yeah guilty people are never going to confess because of torture and innocent people will give you false confessions to make torture stop and those are the only two things that happen as a result of torture so So, it's it's not good and so it's actually kind of wild (laughs) that we're getting this in this children's book where Sirius is like myself and probably other innocent people were tortured with impunity without trial without I mean, I don't know, probably not even like people knowing it. In fact, people being in support of this because of like fear mm-hmm. of domestic terrorists who many just seem to be like rich people. It's like so many purebloods are, are fucking death eaters. It's sort of like, and I mean, the only reason that I think even Sirius even gets caught up in that, besides the fact that he's from an old pureblood family is that he's been excommunicated from his family at this point. Right. So, and then we, and then because we get where it's like, oh, well, uh, Crouch Sr. like extended the littlest bit of nepotism to get his son a trial, which is better than Sirius got, even though he ended up going to Azkaban anyway, you know? I mean, I, this is a two part thing. One, I think that in the context of the book, Sirius's assertion that he thinks that crouch jr got a trial just so that his dad could like prove how much he wasn't giving his son preferential treatment feels true and also the part where barty crouch jr wasn't given leniency because of his dad feels like the least accurate thing like that maybe ever happens in the context of like this whole witch political system Mm -hmm. i'm like that i don't buy that for a second but so yeah, so Barty, so Barty Crouch Sr., pretty garbage dude. And then so we have Sirius explaining that public opinion about Junior becoming a Death Eater is that Barty Crouch Sr. wasn't home enough, maybe should have paid more attention to his kid, What maybe wasn't loved enough, whatever, mm-hmm. which could be a factor. But I think in 2022, I think that we also can envision a bored, privileged Barty Crouch Jr. who has a lot of time to be essentially radicalized by the alt-right Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. see any white mass shooter in the U.S. Which is essentially his vibe. Yeah. And I mean, we even get the extra eye-roll thing that is said about every like fucking white mass shooter, which is like, oh, he was a nice young man from a good family. Like, how could this have happened? And it's like... Because you're not paying attention to what your children are doing, and it still sort of politically aligns with what you're saying, even if maybe not to the extreme that you think they are, where it's like, you're just letting your kid be wild on these online streets, being neo-Nazis. It's like, maybe you should... I mean, and obviously, Barty Crunch Jr. had like some agency to make these fucked up terrible choices for himself. Um, But... It does, but like there could have been some intervention in there before he ends up joining fucking the Lest- Bellatrix Lestrange to torture the shit out of Neville's parents after Voldemort's already fucking been gone. Like, yeah, yeah, like, like there is a progression to get to that point. 
I right now I'm just I I mean I don't know what's going on with my brother. I haven't talked to him in like two years or more, but like I feel like I have like watched him becoming radicalized over the past like ten to fifteen years, and like can't count the number of conversations that my mom and I have had with him over the years, being like this this is bad. Like this doesn't feel good. You should not say these things. Here's let's have a long conversation about like what's going on with this. And like that train just kept rolling, you know, I think, which is not to say like people shouldn't do everything in their power to like try to have interventions, but it also kind of feels like trying to stop your boomers from getting radicalized on Facebook. Sometimes like at some point they're just going to cut you off. Like, my brother and I don't talk anymore. Yeah. Just throwing my hands up and Yeah, that's a that is a huge bummer. Cause like yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. The internet is a really, really dangerous place. Yeah. And I think there is danger. I feel like the danger it poses to young white men is really understated, I think. And it's sort of like in a variety of ways. And it's sort of just like, I don't, I don't know what the solution to that is. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, this is, this is unfortunately where, uh, Brady Crouch Jr. The, the, uh, the road that he decided to walk with his life, which is to become a death eater. Yeah. So, which again, I don't necessarily think is all of the fault of Crouch Sr. Just never probably being home ever but if you want your kids to like you you should be at home sometimes with them <laughs> like yeah if, like if like if crouch jr didn't become a death eater he probably just would be a person who just didn't talk to their dad because it was like i don't even fucking know you bro you know yeah and i think also like if this is how crouch senior is implementing you know his how to make society good in public like his parenting probably looked similarly, you know. Yeah, and um, probably his marriage also. Considering, just want to throw out if you Google statistics of how many cops are involved in domestic violence in general, it's a lot. It's a high amount, and um, there's a little. I mean, there are a lot of theories for why that is, but it's. It's all not good. It's just, it's a giant, like, ball, like, not of not good, of not goodness is there. If I'm recalling correctly, whenever we see Junior's trial in the pensive, his mom is there in the courtroom, I think, just, like, crying her eyes out. And Crouch Senior is just, like, ignoring her and, like, lambasting, is that how, how you use that word? I don't know. Their son and, like, just being so like aggressive and cruel publicly with like no concern for how she's feeling or Mm. experiencing the situation. So I think that's a very astute observation. Yeah. So obviously a villain, but it's also like there are things happening in the background that brings you to torturing two innocent people for no goddamn reason. So, yeah. And sometimes being a, uh, I don't know, being privileged does not mitigate that. And sometimes it exacerbates it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So 
So then he goes to Azkaban. Then he goes to Azkaban, which we learn. We, I mean, obviously we've learned a lot about what a terrible garbage nightmare prison this is. But Sirius basically gives us information that it's essentially a death sentence for a lot of people. Because you're in this, your own personal depression hell that's unending. And people stop eating. People like passively or I guess actively, depending on what you say, just like kill themselves. And it's right. like, hmm, Wow, what a great place to send all of your prisoners. Like, you're just basically condemning them to death for for what, you know? Especially right. during a time when you aren't getting a fucking trial. You're just shipping people off for fucking nightmare prison. Yeah, I feel like the thing that really drives the point home here... Sorry, everyone, I didn't take my ADHD medicine today. I'm doing my best. You're doing great. Um, thank you is that Crouch and his wife are allowed a deathbed visit when Junior is dying. He's not dying of an illness. He's not dying of something untreatable. He's dying of being in Azkaban. Like, that is his diagnosis. And it's not like, he's desperately ill. We should, like, do something. It's like, yep, he's... He's become desperately ill as a direct result of being here. And because he's privileged, his parents can come say goodbye because him dying is the only next step. Like, that's wild to me. Actually, the way that Sirius said it made me assume that unless you're politically connected, you couldn't even do that much if your family, yeah. if you had someone in your family in Azkaban, which is also just like, oh, the layers of privilege that are happening within this terrible fucked up judicial system is just garbage yeah yeah no i don't i think yeah no one no one who doesn't have strings to pull would get a i don't know what the word is but yes the 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 quote-unquote privilege of getting to say goodbye to anyone before before dying of like sadness yeah it's just like and there's like no such thing as like um i mean you guys abolish all prisons all prisons are bad there isn't it's like it's like all or nothing it's like either you are found innocent or you go to fucking this nightmare prison like what was what was Hager sent to prison for in book two like i mean i guess being connected to the whole air of slytherin but like Without a trial. She's just right. sent to Azkaban for like three months. And they're just like, yeah. we don't totally know, but... And yeah, and it's sort of like... We're not really ever given a sense of, like... Azkaban is only reserved for people who, like, are fascist and are doing unforgivable curses. Like, could you be sent there if you had just, like, a numerous amount of, like, underage magic, you know, notice like notices? Sort of like... Yeah, great question. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Azkaban is even worse than we've gotten up to previous. And honestly, they should have just, I know it's made of stone. It was like, burn it down. They should have just blow, blew it up. Like, why yeah. do you even have this? You, 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 you have magic. I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone should go to prison because there are way better ways of um, working within a you know, justice system that doesn't involve just locking people up in a room. Right. 
Um, especially a nightmare depression room like an Azkaban. So it's just like... Yeah. Yeah. Abandon it and turn it into a bird sanctuary. Like... Right. It's IRL inspiration. Alcatraz. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Advertisements, where we talk about how you can support this podcast and make you laugh. Uh, Before we get into some ads, I would first like to say thank you for a donation that we received in memoriam for Agamemnon and Snoop Dogg, who are much missed and priceless dogs. Oh, I know. I know. Jesse's hand is to her heart. Uh, that is very that is very sweet and tender so yeah i i def- that is like exactly what i did when i got the email being like you've received a donation and i like saw the line i was like oh. <laughs> so yes what's next all right so okay yes uh i don't know if everyone knows this but people decide how seriously to take a podcast based on how many reviews of what type it has on apple podcasts um, and I, we are at like 345 reviews right now. I have this dream of hitting 400 by the end of the year. It's totally doable. Totally doable. But not if I don't tell people to do it. So um, if you haven't left us one yet, please do because they make us really happy. And to demonstrate that, I'm now going to read a few to Jesse that I don't think she's seen. Oh, I have not seen any of the newest ones. <laughs> okay. So first up is from Netsrick789. I just started listening and I'm loving engaging with the books I loved in a critical way. Most of all, I love when they crack each other up. Life is stressful. Laughter is helpful. Oh, that's so true. Right? Get it tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, this one is from Mix Artemisia. Who said, first of all, I love this podcast. Every episode is a queer hug of validation. I'm also writing this to say that I just had the urge to re-listen to your first episode. And wow, Lark's voice is so different now. I barely recognize him in the first episode. As a trans person thinking of going on tea, this made me feel really happy and hopeful. Do it. Yeah, do it. (laughs) It's going to be great. And finally, we have one from Alan Doucet. I don't know. Uh, It says, I, Grace, finally understand what it means to read critically, to engage with the text, something my high school English teachers failed to teach me. But seriously, this podcast is a gem. The HP commentary is so thoughtful and thought-provoking. Jesse's laugh is infectious, particularly when Lark says something hilarious that catches them both off guard. I love everything about that. Yes, we need more... More critical thinking. Yay. The Gailey Prophet. Better than your high school English class. That's our new tagline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, I love it. Yes, please leave us reviews. Um, and if you want to financially support us, we're on Patreon. We sell cool merch. We take donations. You can follow us on social media. All of that's in the show notes. Now I'm going to read you a funny ad. Everyone ready? Great. If you are trying to help a fugitive stay safe and hidden, but don't want them to suffer, four out of five witches recommend getting them 
a new wand. A new wand can help your fugitive turn a dank cave into a cozy cove, spruce up those ratty robes, and best of all, summon a real meal rather than living off rats. So if you're ready to take the next step in fugitive care, head on down to Ollivander's Wand Shop in Diagon Alley and get them a new wand today. Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally thinking that. I'm like, where the fuck is Sirius going to get a wand? Where is he going to wand in the next book? I don't even know. Dumbledore told him to come stay in this cave. I don't know if you remember that. That's established at some point in this book. I don't remember that. Yeah, no. He's like, yeah, Dumbledore is the one who told me about this cave. And I'm like, Dumbledore, why are you not feeding this man? Why are you not providing any basic fucking comforts? Not just for Sirius, but for his very large pet that cannot live off of a dozen chicken bones every four months or however often Harry comes to visit. Not a sleeping bag, not a fucking tent. Not a goddamn thing. Right. And before we leave the adverts, it's time for a PSA. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Lark. Is the pandemic over? Uh, why is it just square? It's not over. Oh, man. What should we do about that? Oh, my God. Have you heard about a thing called wearing an N95 mask? They're so cool. All the cool kids are doing it. They protect you from COVID-19 and all of its variants. Oh, man. When should I wear a mask? Uh, anytime you're in public with other people or indoors with them, which you should also be limiting. Lim- limiting, which you should also probably not be doing. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to put the outtakes on. Oh my God. Never go inside with anyone ever. <laughs> That's actually how I'm living my life, but um, kind of how I'm living my life. <laughs> uh, wow, thanks, Jesse. And remember, kids, it's cool to say no to spreading infectious disease, and yes to creating a safe world for the most vulnerable. Welcome to editorials, where we rant about stuff. It's definitely your turn, because I just talked so much. Okay, so, first off, why is only Harry carrying a bag of food? If both Ron and Hermione had also put food in their bag, Sirius would at least had enough for, like, later that night, maybe tomorrow morning, enough for Buckbeak, who, who the fuck knows how much food Buckbeak needs to eat, and he can't just... Unlike Sirius, you can't just let a random wanted hippogriff out to, like, forage for their own food. So, missed up on the kid's part. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's such a good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, my biggest editorial is about how much I hate Ron Weasley. All right, let's talk about... I don't have anything about Ron in here besides my initial thing about him being so mean to Hermione. He's so mean to Hermione. He doesn't say a single kind word to her in this entire chapter. Well, in this half of the chapter. He says four things to her, essentially. Hermione is obsessed with house elves. Come off it. I told you she's obsessed with house elves. Hermione, will you give it a rest? And oh, give it a rest, Hermione. 
Oh, it sounds like a friend. That sounds like something a friend would say to their friend that they care about. And then, like, trying to get serious to also be like, man, isn't Hermione being the worst about these health elves? And Sirius is like, oh, actually, this is something we should, that this is actually relevant information to our, to our discussion. And it's like, that's right. Yeah, there are two different times where Sirius either, like, shuts Ron up, by, like, he holds up a finger at one point and he, like, cuts him off at the other point and then both cases in my book i like drew a little like gold star for serious where it was like excellently done sir yeah he basically just does a quiet you <laughs> Ron for like yeah. not bringing anything interesting to the table of this discussion yeah sorry i have like one thing where i pray serious and then one bit of criticism for him i'm trying to figure out which one i should say first um okay serious is so great here in this chapter because we are, according to my e-reader, 74% of through this book. And he is the first fucking adult who is like, all right, I'm going to try to explain to you sort of what it was like, like the vibe of what it felt like to be alive during Voldemort's first rise and why someone like Crouch was basically allowed to do crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. And... It's really great that he's just, like, treating the gang like pe- like people. He's like, all right, I, I respect your ability to be able to, like, kind of get what I'm putting down here in order for us to continue to figure out this mystery. And I just, like, thank God for Sirius for being able to be like, all right, you know what? I'm just fucking going to tell you because they're not getting it from Dumbledore. Like, Arthur Reasley, who has seven kids, should have been, should be having this conversation with his kids, probably, Honestly, especially when I mean, I guess it hasn't happened yet where half of your kids are on like in the order or whatever. But you're like your youngest son is involved with Harry fucking Potter. You should be explaining this shit to Ron. Like yep. you should be preparing him for the shit he's going to have to go through. And it I mean, it takes having a n- not it, it takes having someone like serious to be like, all right, let me give it to you. <laughs> Strike. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's just, it's just a good look for Sirius. I'm just, I'm just so glad that like Harry and Ron and Hermione have someone like this to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Talking to kids about serious matters in an honest but age appropriate way is like one of the most important things that you can do as a, I don't want to say parental figure, as a person in a child's life who is like teaching and helping them grow and become good adults who know how to move through the world or even i would just say as a like citizen of the world it's like you know like younger people are gonna be more in this shit than we are like and it's and if one of the upsides is to being like oh yeah well i lived in like you know like serious living through this shit it's important for him to be giving the trio this knowledge that he lived through in order for them to be able to better assess and be better prepared for when this all this just happens again because mm-hmm. like in real life whenever you think a political movement or a you know a fascist has been brought down or a war has been won quote unquote it's like that's never the end you know all that right, shit that's the beginning it's the beginning and all that shit is sort of like when everyone's like wow reagan really screwed millennials and gen z's over i wasn't even live then it's like yes because <laughs> history matters and it's still happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yep. Uh, and right and this is basically the like 
Reagan ruined everything for the Harry Potter world, which isn't like, it really just goes back to, I mean, really it goes back to like blood purity racism uh, <laughs> and like Hogwarts sort of complacency in maintaining those sort of social and class hierarchies that is never right. taken apart, but it just keeps coming back to bite everyone in the ass. Funny yep. how that works. Yep. Because when you're like, oh, yay, Voldemort's dead. We don't need to worry about anything anymore. You're like, oh, I think you missed the point of the assignment, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's not that there's any structural things involved that both created Voldemort and allowed his brand of domestic terrorism to flourish and almost ruin your entire society. I know, Gigi, <laughs> right? They were so incorrect about not looking at any of the structural issues. Oh my god, she's just, I don't know what she's yelling about, she just loves to yell. Same, honestly. <laughs> I can't blame her, everything is, no. I mean, yeah, so good good. So good on Sirius. Make him a fucking teacher at this goddamn school! <laughs> Throw bins, exercise bins, I don't know what you need to burn, what chants you need to do to get rid of bins, and then just make Sirius the like hot young history teacher. Yeah, he would be a great political science teacher. Yeah, fucking do it. I truly think that you could just give Bins a different classroom, tell him these are the hours of your of your classes, and then never send a student in there, and he would not notice, and would just teach his lessons to an empty room, would still think he had a job, and you could just get a real history teacher oh my god what if what if that was a new detention is that you just sent kids to sit in on bins lessons? <laughs> that would be so and then you're like oh fucking goblin wars <laughs> <laughs> and then no one is doing gross things with their hands um yep. no one's doing manual labor and maybe you get to learn about the goblin wars potentially or not who knows yeah. Everyone, everyone wins. I think that's a great idea, actually. <sighs> we already talked a little bit about Sirius's if you want to know what a man's like quote. So I think I'm just going to finish out by being like, we get this foreshadowing about Percy's upcoming betrayal, which like, it feels meaningful that Ron you know, I know Percy's not that much older than him and Ron has known him his whole life, but like, I think people have a tendency to like over, over trust and overvalue someone purely on the basis of them being family. And I think that like Arthur and Molly at this point would definitely be like, Percy would never, but I think that like Ron and the twins are like, Percy would totally like they yeah, get him. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it really is just sort of frustrating because I feel like a lot of times we see Ron being effortlessly perceptive, but then mm -hmm. he just gets caught up in like sort of the, like he gets caught up in sort of his own insecurity and sort of his own, he gets caught up in feelings that he just doesn't know how to deal with very well. And it's sort of it, like his perceptiveness is sometimes just overshadowed by just this, this, this sheer assholes, assholishness of him like vomiting his feelings like at Hermione or yeah, about yeah. Hermione, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think you're completely right. Where in which, yeah, Ron has an excellent grasp of like Percy's sort of near endless ambition. 
and like where that would take him better than yeah. I think Molly and Arthur do for sure. Yeah. Cause as we've been saying since book one, Percy is a Slytherin. Yeah. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just mean that ambition is like one of Percy's driving forces as a person, you know? Honestly, I think that I feel like being a Slytherin would have worked for him. Like, he has a, he seems to have a strong enough personality to be like, I'm actually not down for this racism bullshit. Fuck y'all. Um, but then he could have made the political connections that he would need to get a better job than this that he has mm-hmm. when he's just like filling in for a fake crowd <laughs> for, for a crash that's like right. dead already. I don't remember. He's dead already. No, right? he's not dead yet. Okay. We get that. That happens later. Yeah. To a yeah. crouch that's like not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So. It honestly might have been better for him, too, because if he had that, you know, was in the house where he's going to make those political affiliations, he's going to, like, get his foot in the door. I think he would have been better equipped to focus more on his, like, his family's place in that hierarchy. And I think could have gotten better morals than he does as a Gryffindor where like he's not gaining access where he's feeling his ambitions impeded by his social standing yeah I think that if he had like had that Slytherin in I think that he would have been able to use that to like do a lot of good politically because he could have like focused his sort of like extracurricular efforts on like building a solid um like moral ground about how he wants like the world to look and how he wants his dad's job to be perceived and stuff like that. Yeah. And like he even what he could have done is he could have like he could have learned to crap his own family and personal history in a way to like also like gain political clout. Because mm-hmm. if there is one thing that old money conservatives love, it is a token. So <laughs> and i think that i think that person definitely could have been the person to play to like yes my family is a bunch of like impoverished blood traders but look at all things that i you know look at what i can do look at how i can help you look at the look at the uh the strengths that i bring to the table kind of thing and like Yeah. yeah he could have been on his way to being fucking minister of magic like in like five years if he could have been a Slytherin as opposed to being a Gryffindor and like right being sort of hobbled by the Gryffindorness of Vil. Yeah, which then makes him overcompensate for what he feels is like his family's holding him back by doing things like siding with the Death Eaters. So, I mean, not knowingly, but knowingly enough so yeah yeah all right fun this this is actually this is actually an excellent maybe not excellent segue into my one serious critique of this chapter uh which is essentially that you can take the rich pure blood you can take the boy out of the rich pure blood cesspool but you can't take the cesspool out of the boar because when he's like you're inferior so i'm kind of just like I feel like that is sort of Sirius's old money background coming to the fore. And I think we see 
And I think a little bit of that, along with just like a lot of PTSD and family trauma, is what we'll see in the next book when, when we see his treatment and relationship with Creature. But, I mean, I like I don't think that Sirius is intentionally being mean when he's referring to Winky the House F as Crouch Senior's inferior. But I think that's just like a little bit of un- unexamined bias coming out uh, mm-hmm. of of a young, stunted, serious black. So language matters. Anyway, okay. Language does matter. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing, the sort of sticking point with, you know, serious and creature is sort of like maybe the biggest sort of uh, like the, the cringiest bit about I mean, Sirius's character that we see here, who, like, in general, is just an overall, like, awesome dude who just has a shit ton of... <laughs> what is that line from uh, Our Flag Means Death? They're just sweethearts just in with a lot of lot of trauma. A fair, bit of, a fair amount of trauma. A fair yeah. amount of trauma. Yeah, that is that is serious, whatever pretentious middle name, Black, like, right here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, oh... Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this um, very heavy episode. And uh, see you in two weeks. Until then. Style. Flask. Homeland Security. <laughs>